Happy birthday, America. This is Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. A happy Independence Day to you and yours if you are listening in the United States of America or hell. I guess if you live in a country in which your independence happens to be on July 4th also, we hope this finds you well and safe. Do not forget at the top of the show, if you have an opinion or you have something you want to say to us, the number is 703-718-6314. repeat that again. Area code 703-718-6314 is Matt Freights, the Iceman. That is the coach, Brad Powell. Coach, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you doing? Iceman, America, how are you? Yeah, happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. You know, it's another day to wake up living in the great U.S. of A, so can't beat that. Uh, Kind of excited to, you know, maybe see how you spent your 4th of July and get into the week of sports. I want to start the show, man, by realizing that I made a huge faux pas. I had my hat on at the start of the national anthem and I had to quickly, very quickly, take off my hat and my headphones in what was a clunky and yet somehow apropos for this show intro. But the whole point was that we wanted to say happy birthday and give some type of an homage to this country that we live in because I think that we we do live some of the freedoms that are provided by living in this country. And I know that for a lot of people out there, those freedoms don't feel as apparent, right? There are groups of people here who don't feel as if this is the land of the free or the land of opportunity. But for us, I think we can say that for the most part, it has been. So I know that I'm very patriotic at this time period. But before we came on, we were talking about how when you are overly patriotic, it somehow paints you in this corner. And there is a large group of people for whom over patriotism is part and parcel with some other lines of thinking that you and I aren't necessarily a part of. So Hopefully people realize that we just want to, again, be patriotic in the most genuine of ways and I guess the most pure of ways because that's the that's who we are. But how was your 4th of July, man? It was great. Um, you know, we didn't we don't do too much too exciting for 4th of July. Kids are young. You know, they go to sleep pretty early. They're still a little timid when it comes to fireworks and the loud booms and things like that. They kind of like watching them from afar and I live in a small town, so you can only imagine that everyone, you know, has their own little, all these rednecks that I live around have their own little independent uh, fireworks shows that take place. And so my daughter was able to get on the golf cart with my dad and kind of drive around town and take in a little of this and a little of that, which was cool. While the little guy sat on the couch with his little uh, noise-canceling headphones on because I think he thought we were being invaded or or something, um, hearing all the loud booms. But, you know, what you said was right. Um... You know, there's plenty of divisiveness and things like that in this country. But um, with as much as we could do better uh, in the U.S., we still have it pretty damn good compared to um, almost anywhere else in the world. And I think that we take that for granted sometimes. You know, it's kind of that whole first world problems. You could almost switch that to like American problems, right? Because I'm sure there are plenty of people in the world that would trade their problems for ours um, in a second. I try and be that way. I try and be introspective and put things into perspective a lot. As I've gotten older... It, perspective is very important to me because I think it's important to know where you came from. I think it's important to understand even the goods and the bads, things that have happened to you. And I think that by putting things into perspective, it helps you, I guess, grow and evolve as a human being, which is something I think that humans struggle with. We don't do change very well. So I think in this time, at least in the time period that has been probably 2015 to now, this country has changed fundamentally in a lot of ways that I'm not here for. 
But I think on an individual level, you can still look for the things that you love in human beings and still try and embrace those things. And I know that's one of the things we do here, but I had the exact opposite for the July. So my son is three. He's going to be three and a half in September. He couldn't get enough of the fireworks. We had to get closer. We had to walk to where the fireworks are. So I'm in South Carolina right now, which is where I was last week. Fireworks, I believe, are legal here. Somebody who's listening in South Carolina will probably tell me that it's not the case, but you wouldn't know it if you were down here. And it was actually kind of cool because you get a fireworks show all over the place. Thankfully, my dog isn't bothered by it either. So it was kind of neat because he just was like, oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. And I don't know, for me, seeing my kid be a little bit fearless, I think inspires me because kids at their at this age are obviously very scared of a lot of things because the world is still very large to them. I'm sure that your son was freaked out because these are loud sounds that he's not used to hearing on a daily basis, which I don't know whether I should be proud or freaked out that my son is not afraid of them, but I don't know. I thought it was really cool. And it's just, you know, it's a nice day to get together with family. I, I know that for the years I've been celebrating the 4th of July, we've never gone to this like super patriotic place where America this, America that. It's usually an excuse to get together with friends and family, have a couple of beverages, eat some foods that you normally wouldn't eat on a daily basis. And that's what we did. And I think that that's the best thing that you can do. So hopefully you guys got in a little bit of that too. Yeah. I mean, we kind of hung out, took it easy. Like I said, I, I worked the day prior and had to work the day after. So we didn't do anything too extravagant. Um, but I tell you what, one other little uh, sort of tradition that I have around the fourth every year is I'm, I'm a little bit of a history nerd um, in certain instances. It kind of depends on what aspects of history, but like the Civil War. I'm a big fan of the Civil War. I'm a big fan of the American Revolution, World War II, things like that. And I always make a point to try to watch the movie Gettysburg because it took place on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 1865-ish. I know this was the 160th year um, anniversary, I guess, of the Battle of Gettysburg this year. So someone else smarter than me could do the math. But no, I always kind of make a point to take that in. It's just kind of interesting, the timing of that, you know, compared to kind of juxtaposed across like our history and the American Revolution and all that stuff. So um, make a point to take that in every year. And then, of course, you know, to kind of uh, ease up the seriousness of uh, something like that, make sure I partake in a couple of uh, fine beverages. Which is funny because that doesn't differ from literally every other day in your calendar year. So you're just, you know, <laughs> able to able to place a little bit more stakes on it. But it's funny you mentioned this, right? Traditions. And I know you're a big traditions guy. I'm a big traditions guy when it comes to certain things. And in sports, which is what we do here, we're a sports podcast, have you ever noticed that every holiday or most holidays have some type of a sporting event that is attached to them? I think for most people, Christmas Day is NBA, Thanksgiving is the NFL. I think New Year's Day has now become the NHL or at least around that time period with the, the games that are played outdoors. I can't remember what they're called now. Somebody will correct me on that too, I'm sure. And even I think of the PGA, at Easter time is when you see the Masters most of the time or around that time period. It, obviously, Easter you know, ebbs and flows with the calendar. But July 4th doesn't really have a sport. I, I don't even really think baseball embraces it that much because there's 161 other games. However, in what has got to be the most fitting thing for this country, competitive eating is the sport of choice on July 4th. And I don't know how you feel about this. We're going to get in, we're going to dive deep into competitive eating. But just your initial thoughts on all of that hoopla, whether it's July 4th or not. So with the competitive eating thing, specifically, I guess, the Nathan's Hot Dog Challenge, right? I think it's sort of taken on a life of its own because of Joey Chestnut and his historic run that he's been on. And I feel like growing up as a 
you know, maybe when I was a teenager in high school, I feel like when you watch like the travel channel and stuff like they always had things on about this and different competitive eaters and different contests that they would participate in. And I remember being really like intrigued by it um, when I was younger. And now I kind of look at it and I'm like, man, like that's got to be a lot on your body. And I know that, it, you know, the modern day, right? You know, people probably imagine when you hear competitive eating, the first thought is, oh, this must be some big fat guy. But it's not. I mean, one of the the only challengers that Joey Chestnut's ever had, right? It was, a, and forgive me, a Japanese, Chinese, Asian man, uh, small in stature, skinny. And so I don't know, man. I mean, I guess, is it a stretch to call these guys athletes? It's funny you mention that because Joey Chestnut has something like 40 world records in, in competitive eating. And you have to train for it. I mean, think about this, right? You and I are big dudes. So we know how to put down food. We enjoy eating. It's probably my biggest vice, if I'm being honest. And I have actually been in a in an eating contest. I was in a burrito <laughs> eating contest one time. This was in my <laughs> late 20s. And it was for Moe's Southwest Girl. I'm not sure if they have those in Peoria. But I had friends that lived in Gainesville at the time. He was in vet school. So we went down there. And a friend of his was actually somebody who liked to participate in this. Now, he was a little bit of a bigger guy, but not like a huge guy, right? Probably on par with us. So we went there because you got free food. So the idea was that we would go there, half participate, and then we'd get to take the rest of the food home, call it a day, whatever. So they had different heats. I think there was like a dozen heats or something. And if you won your heat, you got free mows for the year. If you won the whole thing, you got free mows for life. Well, your boy here came in second place. So nice. Yes. I ate three of the, the mini burritos. They're like this big. And I think it was like two minutes and 13 seconds or something like that. It was five bites of burrito. So I somehow, and it wasn't even hard. Like that's the weird part, but I felt awful afterward. So I can only imagine how these freaking competitive eaters, which by the way, did you know that there is a major league of competitive eating? Uh, that doesn't surprise me because I know they have the mustard belt, right? For the Nathan's thing. Oh, it's insane. Or whatever. So, yeah, so I'm not surprised. The thing that you get here, and we talk about morality sometimes on this show, and sometimes what you get is you have two sides of the coin here. And I feel like every single year you have the camp that talks about how the gluttonous nature of this, and let's be honest, it is glut. They're not eating for sustenance. They're eating for competitive nature and, and money. And there's a lot of waste that goes there. So I understand that. But then a lot of the other people are like, what's the harm, really? Like, what's the harm? Because there are a lot of bigger problems in this country. And honestly, homelessness and people that are starving is not not even being solved by our government, so I'm not sure it's gonna be solved by canceling the hot dog eating contest. And that's always the rage that goes on. But I find it disgusting because that kind of eating, even as somebody who loves to eat, I just, I don't understand it. Like, And it's a food or foods, as I'm going to list off a couple of these world records here, that I love and I would never wanna ruin them. Like, what do you think Joey Chestnut actually eats for his regular diet? Uh, probably pretty healthy food. It's probably the only way he can keep from his heart exploding. I imagine his regular diet is is probably a lot of vegetables, lean protein, you know, whatever, the typical stuff that we all should be eating. Um, you know, then that's probably what allows him to do what he does. But the thing is, you have to think to prepare for this, he's got to, I mean, the way you train to do something is to do it to some degree. And so I wonder what his training regimen's like leading up to the contest. I mean, that I, I don't know how long it takes, a month, two months, six months, but over that time frame of his, we'll call it training camp, I wonder how many hot dogs that man consumes. I mean, it's got to be astronomical. The thing is, is I looked this up and apparently they starve themselves or fast for long periods of time before the contest. So 
I, I don't know how they how they do that. And I, I was reading an article about the guy you mentioned before. Kobayashi was his name. He was the guy. He had a whole bunch of those titles. And then Joey Chestnut came along. And I think Joey Chestnut is now won 16 of these in a row. And his number has just increased and increased and increased. I think the other day he ate 62 of those, which is insane. Like 62 hot dogs. That's insane. What is that? Like eight packs of hot dogs with buns. That's... I, how do you even prepare for that? Like, what do you get up and say, okay, it's my day. Like when I train for marathons, it's like, okay, got to run 15 miles today. What is it? I've got to eat 30 hot dogs today in one sitting, not just over the course of the day in one sitting. There's got to be some training and I wish we could get, I would actually love to interview somebody who, there have to be like personal trainers who do this shit, who train people to expand their stomachs for that one day a year that they eat however many hot dogs they can eat or drink as much cool it as they can. I, I don't know. I and I it's just the craziest thing to me because it's like porn, right? It's gotta ruin sex. This has got to ruin food. Well, for a lot of them, this it's probably more than just once a year. I, I think a lot of these guys participate in multiple eating contests, right? And hundred percent. And like you said, there's probably trainers and stuff. Like this day and age, I guarantee you there is science behind what they're doing. It's like NASCAR for food. Seriously, man. Like there's analytics for competitive eating, I guarantee. Like and you know, the fact that they dip their buns in water, like Soggy buns. I just soggy buns. Clip that one out. Uh, I just <laughs> I'm intrigued by. I, I love competition. I mean, I would watch two guys kick a rock across the dirt parking lot or whatever if it was if there was something on the line. I mean, so I love the fact that it's competition. I wouldn't say it grosses me out, but it just makes me wonder. Like, how do you feel after that? You know, like you mentioned, you felt terrible after Moe's. Moe's probably feels like they've got a safe bet. Yeah, they're giving away Moe's for a year, but you're not going to want to eat Moe's for a year or life, maybe. I was nice. I actually gave it to somebody who lived in Gainesville. So you could go once a week for 52 weeks and you could bring and you could buy as much as you want. So they would bring all their friends once a week. They had a Moe's date. So you're welcome to the Gainesville crew for eating Moe's once a week on my stomach. But two minutes and 13 seconds. It was amazing. But let me tell you a funny anecdote about that. The local newspaper wanted a quote from me and they asked me, I'm still just amazed that I said this out loud because this is far and away different than the Matty Ice that you know today. And they asked me, what was my strategy? And I said this and I'm not kidding. I just kept swallowing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's candid and it's true. true, right? I mean, that's absolutely what you did and led you all the way to a runner up finish. Oh, yes, I know. So there's there's it took the last it was the last heat that beat me. I would have had free Moe's for life. And you know what? I probably wouldn't have eaten it. I haven't eaten it in a long time. Not because of that. It was just amazing. Like the whole experience was was crazy. And there used to be video footage of it. I don't know where it went. But either way, let's talk about Joey Chestnut. So I'm going to start you off easy. I'm not going to read all of these because he's got a lot of world records, but some of them that may hit home for our listeners and viewers. So everybody likes popcorn, right? We go to the movies. We usually have popcorn at the movies. This was last year. Joey Chestnut ate 32 24-ounce servings of popcorn in eight minutes. Good Lord. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't like popcorn that much. It's okay. Like, I'll eat popcorn once in a while, but rarely, because all the little things get stuck in your teeth, and that just drives me crazy. Uh, I can't. How do you not choke, man? I don't know. So that was that was last year, and that's that's a little crazy. This one really grossed me out. So shrimp cocktail is a very, very popular appetizer that people serve at parties and stuff like that. I mean, we actually had some the other day. So shrimp cocktail, he ate 18 pounds, 9.6 ounces of it in eight minutes. And he did that in Indianapolis, Indiana. Gosh, that's like, that'd be like two babies <laughs> like worth of shrimp cocktail, right? But it's shrimp, like it's raw shrimp. Like that's the, that's the weird part is like I could never eat or consume that much seafood all at once. Also in 2018, 
This is really, really good. Hostess donuts, which I think are those little mini donuts that they have. I think there might be powdered. It doesn't say whether they are or not, but he ate 257 of those in six minutes. That's nuts. So I, I got to sidetrack here for a minute because you said something. And it's funny because it's only like the, it's the second time in my life I've heard someone use the, the word, but it's also the second time this week. Okay. Donut. My dad, I went up to the store over the weekend, shows up. He's got three bags, uh, you know, got the powder, got the chocolate got the crunch one. He's like, and literally like five times in 30 seconds, he says, donut. He's like, I got these, some chocolate donuts, you know, Carver, you want a donut? Well, I got, can we just call them donuts? There are many donuts. Why are you saying donut? I guess you say it like one time, but you've said it five times. Like it's on the package. I know it is. I know it is. That's fine. But it's like, uh, who calls it? Who actually calls them that? And this is their donuts, mini donuts. I'll tell you who does. Rick Powell. That's who calls them that. And Matt Freights, apparently. I'm reading it from Wikipedia, okay? Look, your dad brought them in from the store and called them donuts, which means he has he's used that word before. Kind of like the A's announcer with the other word that he talked about. Yeah. Rick has used donut quite often to the fact that it's it's part of his lexicon now. He is a donut man, and you just got to live with it, man. You're his offspring. And just the fact that, that I reacted the way I did, he, he's going to say it as much <laughs> as possible for the rest of time. Yeah, and the title for this episode will be Who's Bringing the Donuts? Okay, last one for you, the Big Mac, McDonald's Big Mac, which is one of the most overrated fast food sandwiches of all time. It used to be cool when I was a kid. Now it's just overrated. He ate 32 of those in 38 minutes, 15 seconds, which is a lot. I mean, that's like one one per or one per minute about. But I think about that and I'm like, that feels slow, but there's a lot of bread in there. And there's also just a lot of crap in the Big Mac. So Joey Chestnut has done quite a bit but it's just, it's funny to me because it's so America, right? Like competitive eating. We are the country of gluttony in a lot of ways. And this is not judging. Like you do whatever the hell you want. Like if you want to eat 62 hot dogs on 4th of July and do fireworks and blow off all your hands like Jason Pierre-Paul, man, go for it. Like I don't care. But it is so America. It's so America of the, the way that we are portrayed outside of this country. America. That's what competitive eating tells a lot of other people outside of this country. And that's just what I think of. Sure. I mean, in, in a way, what a weird flex to be the best at eating a lot. At the same time, you mentioned it earlier and it kind of tripped my trigger a little bit. The, the certain parts of the population that are like offended by this in a way or like think that this is like a problem and this is why things are the way they are. At what point in time... Will people, we've talked about this before, at what point in time will people start just taking responsibility for themselves and and their own actions? Like watching a man eat 62 hot dogs on TV, like doesn't mean you have to overeat. And, you know, I'm sure someone would say, well, he's, you're, they're, you're glamorizing it and whatever else. Well, hey, whatever. If little Johnny like decides that he's going to put it, if the one thing he decides he's going to put his mind to is being competitive eater, you should be a damn good parent and support him. <laughs> It is a weird flex. But then again, there's a lot of weird flexes that happen in this country and honestly all over the world. People flex the weirdest crap. But I I agree. But you talked about responsibility and this is a tangent. People don't take responsibility anymore. And it's a rare quality. And and again, like I'm not judging you, whoever's watching this and, and all that. Like you do whatever it is that you do in life. Coach and I really don't care. But the people that are in our circle, we can call out when they don't take responsibility. And I know I see it a lot. And you see a lot of complaining in this country and all over the world about how things aren't going their way or, and you talk about this too, there's a lot of people who want to 
to virtue signal about something that they see. So, oh, look at that. It's gluttonous and we need to stop doing that. But they're not going to be part of the solution, right? And, and you can extend that to just about any political argument or any political talk that you have. A lot of people want to just point the finger and say, that's a problem. And then they're not part of whatever we do to make it happen. So if, if this gluttony offends you because you think that we could use these resources in other ways, be a part of that solution, right? Write your congressman or woman. Write your local politician to talk about these things. Go donate at food banks. Go do things at soup kitchens around the holidays. Do actual real stuff. Your person, your individual person that can help it out. And yeah, maybe it doesn't make a dent in the larger grand scheme of things, but it does make a dent in a small way. And I think that those small dents add up to larger dents. But people don't want to do that. They just want to say it and then move on. And that's the way I feel about this too. Like, I don't watch it. And that's cool, right? I don't watch the NFL Combine. I had a whole rant about how I think the NFL Combine is stupid. And somebody commented, well, don't watch it. Well, guess what, pal? I don't. So it's cool. Like, we're fine. Yeah. And you mentioned taking action, right? If you have a problem with something enough to the point where you're going to point it out and get on your soapbox about it, then you should take action. You know, I think about that, right? I mean, it's kind of, it doesn't get me in trouble. It probably will someday. But, you know, I'm kind of that way in the sense that, like, if someone's being an asshole, I'm not going to tell everybody else I think that's per, that person's an asshole. I'm just going to tell that person I think they're an asshole. That's my way of, I guess, attempting to do something about it or attempting to act. I'm like, someone needs to tell this person that they're a giant asshole. Like last week? What, <laughs> that last week or whatever, or the crazy softball guy, whatever it is, right? I mean, so that's that's my thing is, and I'm not perfect about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I certainly, I, I can be judgmental son of a gun. I at least attempt to put my money where my mouth is when applicable, if you will. Yeah, I try not to be judgmental, but some of the most judgmental people in all of sports are the fans. We've talked about that before. So I want to talk about athletes and I want to talk about staying with the same team and loyalty to your franchise, because I think it was last week that we talked about, I, I can't even remember now because it's all flowing in and of itself, but we've talked about fans. We've talked about players asking for trades, player empowerment, things like that. And now we're at this time period where I think when you stay with the same team for a long time, it's not something that is seen as a good thing because it's just not, right? And I mean that in the sense of we, the fans, don't give the athletes the ability to stay with the same team and think it's cool anymore. I feel like Cal Ripken, Tony Gwynn, they got to do that for the most part and they didn't win a whole lot or at least not the way that a lot of other guys do. We thought it was cool, but they're a part of a paradigm that is no longer. So Damian Lillard, who plays for the Portland Trailblazers, an NBA star, he has played for the Trailblazers his whole career, I believe, and they have not done a whole lot of winning. They've come close. They've had deep playoff runs, but they've never won the big one. And he kept staying, kept staying, kept staying when other players wanted to leave their respective clubs and go find a championship. And I'm flashing the leather. John and I talked about Otani and Mike Trout. And I even said about Mike Trout that he maybe doesn't care about winning a World Series because he's willing to stay with this team that has underperformed. And he signed an extension with them. So Lillard finally, after years, said he wants to be traded because he's coming up to the tail end of his career. I personally think, you know what? He's allowed to do that. He's earned his stripes with this club, this franchise, and they, the fans, should want to see him do well. But I think that there is a lot of people who, who look at him and say, you're selfish for wanting to go find a winning club. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, selfish, whatever. He's selfish in the fact that he's doing what he feels like is best for him. And just like these organizations are going to do what they feel is best for them. Uh, we just talked right last time about how Chris Paul was traded like three times in a week. That was the one. 
Yeah. So the organizations can do this willy nilly. Um, I should not, but you know what I mean? Like they have the freedom to make a move whenever they want. Uh, these players don't always have that power because they're locked in the contracts. They can demand trades, I guess, and hold out and whatever else they want to. Uh, but unless they're a free agent, if the franchise wants to play hardball, they're stuck, right? So I don't have a problem with it at all. And I think I understand that fans are going to throw a fit because fan is short for fanatic, right? And there's not a lot of rational thinking that happens in uh, that intense emotional fandom that exists out there. And I'm all here for it. I'm here for passionate fans, but passionate fans don't mean smart fans. And I think that each individual has the right to do what they feel like is best for them and their families, just like every business franchise has the right to do what's best for their business. And we, I think we have to quit expecting loyalty. We all think that because we're not thinking about it like a business as fans. We think about it on an emotional level. You know, I, you know, it's like in my head growing up as a Cubs fan, I'd be like, oh, I would play for the Cubs for free forever, you know, like... <laughs> Why would somebody want to leave or what? I mean, but, but just because you have that emotional connection and it's not your job, it's not, it's not business to you. The reality is, is to these franchises and players, this is business. This is their job. This is their livelihood. They should be lucky that he stayed as long as he did and, and be thankful and grateful for it. And life goes on. But what's the level or how many years does it take? There has to be a line, right, for fans to think that you've done enough or you've earned the right to ask out. Like, what's the years these days that you think? Because I don't, I mean, he's been there for damn near a decade. So he's put in his time there. And I think that that's loyalty. He has spent his entire career there. So let him go and find the winning formula that he wants to. I mean, I don't know if you remember back in the day, there was a defenseman for the Boston Bruins named Ray Bork, famous number 77. He was at the end of his career and the Bruins did the right thing and they traded him to the Colorado Avalanche so he could have a chance in the last year of his career, the last two years to win a Stanley Cup famously finally won it in his last game, right, his last season. And the fans in Boston were ecstatic. But yet somehow in 20 years that has changed. And what's the line? How many seasons for you personally do you feel like is enough invested in this club that if we're not going to be able to give him the championship, that he can go find it somewhere else? I know this isn't the answer you're looking for, but I don't think there that one exists. I don't think that there has to, I don't think there's some uh, timeline on this. I think uh, now, yeah, if this was a guy in the second year of his contract and he was demanding out because the team wasn't winning, would I look at this differently and be like, well, geez, you haven't, you know, fulfill your contract, idiot. Like, you know, honestly, I probably would be saying something like that. I just think that, I don't know if there's a finite number of games. I think that if you're a fan, you've seen what this guy has done for you. I think you just know uh, if that makes any sense to you. I think you just, you know, because for one guy, it might be 10 years. For another guy, it might be five years. You know, what they do for you in that amount of time, you know, if you're going to, me to put some sort of a time frame on it like if a guy came in and in five years he take it took a team that was a perennial loser and got you in the championship contention and this and that and like turned the franchise around in five-year period of time and then decided he wanted to move on like i would say he earned that right or in this case you have a guy that comes in and he's just a long time guy that stays there through the the good the bad the ugly and now he's on the back end of his uh his career and he wants to move on and and maybe have a shot at a championship somewhere it's the same thing i think that he's earned that but at the same time i think these People are entitled to do whatever they feel like is the best thing for themselves. And I, I don't think that, you know, the idea of people uh, supporting someone in these decisions is a thing from too far in the past because I think like Albert Pujols, right? He left the Cardinals. And yeah, initially there was some backlash and people were upset about it. But just what, last year? No, yeah, last year, you know, or even not. Well, last year he came back to the Cardinals to retire. But if you're, when he first returned with the Angels to play in Bush Stadium, when that happened, like he was received 
you know, it was he got a hero's welcome. And so I do think that 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 still exists in certain places for certain people. It's not I don't think it's dead. It's funny you mention that, though, because I think it's very player specific, because like, let's take LeBron, for example. LeBron's done a lot of winning and he's played in different places. So he starts out in Cleveland, which is his home state, and he doesn't do a lot of winning there. Gets close to going to a final, does actually go to a final, never makes it. Famously, the decision goes down to Miami, takes his talents to South Beach. Cleveland hated him, even though he had put in however many years he put in, seven years. He goes to Miami, wins two titles. After four years, he leaves to go back to Cleveland, and Cleveland then embraces him again, and Miami hates him again. He goes to Cleveland and wins that championship. That was the best thing that he could have ever done. And he left after, what, I think four years? And now they hate him again. And I'm like, what did he have to do? I mean, he won and win a championship for that city and that state. That should be enough for you. And he can go and do whatever the hell he wants. I just don't understand this mentality. And Kevin Durant, on the other end, he doesn't play for the, the Thunder for very long, but yet he gets close, right? Or he, he does. He gets drafted there, and he's been there for five or six years, whatever. They make it to a final. They lose to the Heat. So he decides they're going to actually go or he decides he's going to go and play for Golden State. And they end up winning two championships. But he has been hated ever since then. And now he's seen as this mercenary. And so what's the difference between him and LeBron? Like, I just don't understand it. And yet they're embraced when they come back. Like, LeBron's embraced. And even the big stars can't get around this. This is a fan problem. This isn't really a player problem. And, I mean, look at some of these guys in the major leagues. I mean, Albert Pujols signed that big contract. He had been with the Cardinals for 10 years before he signed that. And they just weren't willing to pony up the dough. Now, smartly, because obviously he cratered in terms of his production over that time period with the Angels, but he wasn't seen as, like, selfish because he'd been there for 10 years. It was a business decision. And I feel like the fans just don't understand the business of it, the economics of it, and we just get too damn emotional. Yeah, it's it's the best and worst part about being a fan, right, is the emotion. I, I think to some degree it's it's healthy. I've said that before. I think it's healthy to kind of invest in this thing that you have no control over and, and be along for the ride. On the other hand, in some cases, it encourages or presents some unhealthy behaviors or stances on things like, like this, right? Being mad at a player for making a business decision and uh, kind of losing sight of it. I think as fans, we get romantic about the game, right? We get not just baseball, you know, everybody gets romantic about baseball, but just that we get romantic about the game, the team, you know, we really believe in a lot of cases that these players are playing for that city, right? For that fan base. And to some degree they are, I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. And I'm not going to, I know there's certain players that connect more to a fan base than others over time. Those people, I hate to tell you, they're showing up, punching the clock and going to work just like you and I do. Yes. Do they love the game? But yes, they do. But they're also a long ways away from that little boy that fell in love with playing, you know, on the sandlot somewhere. This has become a job. And I know we all don't like to hear that, but I, I think that's just, that's the truth. Yeah, it is a job for them. They're getting paid to do this, and some of them just love it. But I think what you hit the nail on the head there for in, in making that point is the fact that I think it has a lot to do with the player and how we, the fans, receive them and how they go about their business. LeBron was hated by Cleveland because of the big hoopla around the decision where he had this whole televised special to decide where he's going to go. And some other players just quietly leave. They never complain about the franchise. Damian Leonard has never said anything publicly about the Trailblazers. Mike Trout has never said anything publicly about the Angels. And yet one of them wants to leave, the other one doesn't. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think we, the fans, even if we don't want to admit it, right, we like the flashy guys and gals out there on the court. 
or the playing field or wherever. But I think we all internally love the people that, quote, do it the right way and don't complain and just play, go out there and do their job. We love that stuff. And we're not willing to admit it because the flashy players are the ones that they want the autographs for. They sell all the merch. But it's the guys that show up day in and day out and just do their job that I think the fans are endeared to. I think it has a lot to do with it. And maybe that's the key is it's just humanity. We just don't like a certain guy or we don't like how they went about it. I mean, imagine if in your job somebody came in and quit and basically did in that movie, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Like, you're not going to like that guy when they leave or that gal when they leave. But if they come in and say, you know, it's just I'm ready for a new opportunity, shake some hands, thank everybody. You're going to look at that person a lot better and give them a lot more grace. And maybe that's the key. Maybe it's the the athletes themselves and the fans are just reacting on a human level the way they would anywhere. That's fair. Um, I do think it has a lot to do with that, their personality, how they handle things. Uh, I've always been, I've always been a sucker for the, the, the character guys, right? The guys that you know, like this exact people you're talking about that just do it the right way. That's not, they're not out there pounding their chest all the time. You know, the whole look at me mindset. I, I've always been drawn to those types. As I've gotten older though, I've realized the, the reality of, of sports and not even just sports. I mean, it spills over into other uh, businesses, but Sports specifically, like I've understand the reality that, yeah, like you might like the guy that shows up every, every day and tries really hard and is a great dude. He's a great father. He's a great husband. He's a great teammate, but he bats 200, you know, and sorry, but that doesn't get it done um, in the big leagues, you know, that at the end of the day, talent wins. And that's where I talk about, you know, sometimes I think we put these guys on the pedestal sometimes, you know, we forget at the end of the day, like these franchises, for the most part, don't give a shit about these guys' personal lives. It's all about production. You'd be lying if you said that that's not the same in a lot of other businesses. I love that a bridge too far is the Mendoza line in baseball. Like that's the reference. (laughs) And it goes back to last week we talked about all those random sayings in baseball. The Mendoza line is definitely one of those. You hear that a lot. And I wonder how many young people actually know what it means and know why it's called the Mendoza line. So for all of you out there, it's hitting below 200, which is awful objectively, no matter what era you play in. I don't care if there are players out there that are hitting 220 and have 45 home runs. 220 sucks. 220, anything under 250 sucks. But that's that's like the norm these days, man. I saw something the other day that Kyle Schwarber, is bat, was, his batting average was like 180 or something like that. And they, they compared him to another player. And I, of course, it escapes me. But this other player was batting in like maybe the mid 200s. But Kyle Schwarber had a higher on base percentage. Probably Adam Dunn. No, I mean, this is like a current player that's playing right now at the same time. Joey Gallo, probably. It might have been uh, now that you say that. And it's funny because then it, it like, I think it was TikTok or something, but it was stitched with the video of uh, from Moneyball where Brad Pitt says, and what does he do? He, says, he gets on base. <laughs> and that's all that matters. I read that book. I've never seen the movie. Great book. But man, baseball is weird with that stuff. So let's move on, man, because I think we could talk about this stuff all day long. There's always going to be athletes who are wanting out of places and player movement and all that stuff. And that stuff is fun. But let's talk about the media because you talked about personalities in the game that we're in. And you may laugh and scoff at that if you're watching, because I know somebody said to to coach show what show and we're putting on a production here. Yeah, we're not ESPN. We're not Sports Illustrated. We're we're not the big leagues just yet, but we're trying. And we're, we're personalities, though. You're watching or listening because something about us says something to you. And I think that's the name of the game. But the, the landscape of sports media has changed so much and so much in the last even 10 years, man. Like, it's not even in one of those things where you say, like, 40 years ago it was so different. 10 years ago, which is what, 2013? The landscape was way different. 
You mentioned this to me offline, and it got me to thinking, and it, it's coupled with a few things. ESPN laid off a whole bunch of other people, and I think you kind of sarcastically called it the downfall of ESPN, and I, I, I assume you have to be sort of kidding and sarcastic when you say that. I think maybe it, it's the beginning of the end of ESPN as we knew it growing up. You know what I mean? Like, as far as being, you know, sports center, right? And then having the, you know, Mike and Mike. And I just think that, the you know, the, the classic highlight show, it's kind of like MTV, right? When we grew up, MTV was actually music videos. That's all it was on MTV. And now you can't see a single music video on MTV. It's all reality shows, everything else. Like it has changed entirely. And I think that ESPN may be in for a similar transition. Um, I think with First of all, the amount of money that it takes for them to get some of these TV deals, the Monday Night Footballs and these different conferences, you got to pay for the TV deals. I mean, I think there's so much money going into those things that obviously they had to take some look at, you know, take a look at some finances, right? And maybe make some cuts to free up some funds. I think things like what we're doing, not us specifically, obviously, but like the internet, podcasting, sports media as it exists on social media, I think has started to cut into. Uh, the traditional mainstream sports media a little bit because with technology, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, examples A and B right here, have the ability to get a microphone and a video camera and flip it on and talk about whatever they want to. And it's turned out that, you know, there's some people out there that are pretty damn good at it and are pretty entertaining. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. So it, it grows and grows. And I think that they, they've kind of, you have to acknowledge that a little bit. And, and also, you know, I think cord cutting has had a big thing to do with it. A lot of people are streaming now. Um, of course, ESPN is available on certain streaming services, but there's people who are watching streaming services illegally that that money probably never makes it to ESPN or, or any of these other networks. I think there's so many factors that it's, it's just changing the landscape. It's not it's not a failure on ESPN's part, I don't think. It's just they have realized that they have to change with the times a little. What's really funny about this is it is multifaceted. It is not one thing. And a lot of these layoffs, even though they involve a lot of names that a lot of people recognize because ESPN is in the business of giving contracts to people who have name recognition and notoriety. And who are those people? Former athletes. They're a sports network. So it makes a lot of sense. Hey, let's go find some good personality who used to play sports. We're going to get a lot of people who recognize this person coming in. And they do that a lot. And the other factor of this is they're getting rid of a lot of people who've been at the company for 20-something years or even 30 years. It happens a lot in business. These people have been around and they probably make a lot of money. So the businesses are going to try to get rid of those people. But I think what this speaks to, man, is exactly what you're talking about. It's a shift in a paradigm. Long gone are the days of ESPN Radio. And even though ESPN Radio still exists it's nowhere near what it was. It was a powerhouse. You and I probably had ESPN radio stations earmarked in our cars because there was local affiliates that were ESPN radio stations. But like, here's a good example. When I went to Virginia Tech, they had a Blacksburg radio station, but it was an ESPN Blacksburg station. I listened to that all the time. You got a local flair, but with a national element to it. And it had that recognition of ESPN. Mike and Mike was on for what, 13 years, 14 years? It was a recognizable product. It started a lot of people's mornings. Mike and the Mad Dog, well before them too. These days are gone. And maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we're killing it. But here's the thing. Maybe we, the Tom, Dick, and Harrys, as you say, are killing it. But you know who isn't killing it? And you know who represents people like us is Pat McAfee. And he's the guy who's changing the paradigm because ESPN just gave him a ton of money. 
like $85 million to do exactly the same thing that he is doing. And yes, he's a punter. He has name recognition. He has connections. So we don't have that. But he basically started from scratch and said, I'm going to try to parlay my personality into something big. And he's done it. And ESPN has had to shift their priorities because he's too hot. We can't not have Pat McAfee. And he represents all of us, man. Like it it kind of shows you that the media game is way different. You don't need to be credentialed. Shit, you don't even need to know what you're talking about half the time. You have to have personality and you have to be able to connect with the people on that end of the camera. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who can do it. I jokingly point to us, obviously. We don't take ourselves very seriously, but we do think that we're good at this and we're entertaining and we have a damn good time. That's exactly what Pat McAfee does. Oh, 100%. I mean, you can tell that, you know, yeah, he probably was hoping it would turn into what it has, and it's probably turned into more than he ever imagined. But I imagine it started out as, like, just him getting, hey, get his buddies, hey, let's get on here and let's start a podcast and talk about sports, whatever. And, of course, he's, you know, he has a leg up, (laughs) no pun intended, (laughs) because, you know, he was a professional athlete. Yeah, so he does he, he does have some insight into the world of sports that we do not. And and that's why you see a lot of pro athletes get into this sort of thing. If they if they don't get into like the traditional sports media, I think you see a lot of them that do podcasts and things like that, um, that have good followings. And what I think is fascinating is while ESPN, I guess you could say, bought Pat McAfee, I don't think I mean, in reality, you're not they're not buying the Pat McAfee show because they necessarily believe in Pat McAfee. They're buying the Pat McAfee fan. They're buying those eyes and ears, right? Yes, they are. And they gave up the Levitard audience, which was a huge audience for them. And that's because Levitard was unwilling to be quiet about certain things in a very highly political time. And that's the other thing about ESPN, too, is a lot of people look at this and say, oh, see, it's because they've gone woke. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do purely with the dollars and cents of it all on a balance sheet. And when you see names like this, Susie Culber, she's been doing NFL work for a very long time, a highly respected journalist. She's been doing it 27 years. Steve Young, Keyshawn Johnson, these are all old people's names. And I don't mean that as in like they're ancient, but I think their mindset is ancient. They don't relate as much to the game today as a lot of other players do. And Pat McAfee is that person. Even though he is technically old by football standards, he played recently enough that I think he has connections with these people and he understands how this game works. That's why Tony Romo works so much. And I think that we're trying to get to that. We're trying to get to people who can connect because the more people that connect with this guy or gal or whoever, that's more money in our pockets. And that's how this whole paradigm works. Before, it was just, you listen to whatever you got. And now, it's, we're gonna go out and find the thing that people are listening to because there are so many avenues in which you can find it. You go on YouTube right now. You type in sports show. You probably won't even find this one in the first million results because there are so many people who can do this. But I think the difference is, there are people who are trying to do it quality, and I'm talking about below the levels of Pat McAfee, and I think that there is room for a lot of us to exist. And to me, this is a very exciting paradigm shift, even if we never sniff ESPN. It doesn't mean that we're just dead in the water. We can have something. I agree. I think it means that there is, uh, there's an opening, and not, not an opening because ESPN has left a void, nothing like that. Again, not to take ourselves too seriously, but it's just, uh, it's almost, you, you've had the worldwide leader, right? The mothership has sort of conceded to the belief that this, this platform that you and I are on right now is relevant. I, you know, and it, I think it lends credibility to what us and other people like us are out there doing. 
And so it does give a little bit of hope uh, that there's there's potential, uh, room for growth and, and everything else that comes along with this. It, the whole thing is fascinating to think about. I mean, it's bittersweet, though, because I get, you know, I get a little nostalgic sometimes and, and yearn for things of the past. And, I, you know, I'm going to miss the days, you know, the days of the of ESPN radio, right, of Mike and Mike. And you had, you know, Dan Patrick was on there. And obviously, you know, you had Colin Cowherd at that point in time was on ESPN radio. You had Van Pelt and Rosillo were on there. I mean, so there were some great radio shows, uh, freaking Levitard. And so I, I'm i going to miss that, miss the classic sports center, the days of old, because it's just not the same. But it's also, like I said, it kind of shines a light on people who do something similar to what we do. And it's it's lending some credibility to it. And I appreciate that. And another thing I think that's lost on fans, a little side note, we're talking about the reference to that this happened because they got too woke. I think people always assume that if someone on a network says something, it's like they're speaking for the network as if the network has those same beliefs. The network is interested in making money. And you know what makes money? You know what gains viewership is controversy. Yes, there are certain people out there who, when they hear things, are going to never listen to that person or that network ever again. But most of us are drawn to things that you know that generate some sort of emotional response, whether it's positive or negative. So you, people are tuning in to some of these personalities because not just because they, they love what they say, but because they hate what they say and they can't wait to outrage about the next crazy thing that person says. So they're tuned in. And guess what? They all pay the same, right? Whether you're there for the good stuff or the bad stuff. And it's funny when I see you know fans raging. I actually, I saw a Colin Cowherd TikTok the other day where he was, he was critical of the Cowboys and someone in the com- and I, I looked at the comments just because I knew for a fact that Cowboys were, fans were going to be imploding and they were, um, they did not disappoint, but someone said at one point in time, you're not even relevant. <laughs> it was someone's comment. And I'm just like, you people obviously have no idea how this works. The interesting part though, and you talked about controversy and all of that stuff, what ends up making the most money are when the most eyes are on the product. And the other thing is if you work for a company, you're a representative of the company. And so by extension, when you say something, you are speaking on behalf of that company. But I think one of the things we've learned and forgotten about at the same time is that people who are athletes or people who work for these media companies, they're also citizens of this country. They can have opinions that they want to have. And you see a lot of those people. What was the guy who used to work at ESPN who now is for Fox? It was Will Will Kane. And he was somebody who he had a lot of opinions that didn't jive with what a lot of people wanted to hear on radio. But they tuned in because they love to hate the guy. And they knew that even though he wasn't allowed to be overt about those opinions, he believed in them. And I think the pastime that people don't realize is older than life itself almost is tuning into something because you hate it. Watching people because you want to see them lose. Floyd Mayweather, do you know how many people tuned in to watch him lose and made him a ton of money in the process? They're always going to do this. And this is what ESPN is. For all these people who say, I don't watch Disney because it's too woke. I don't listen to ESPN because it's too woke. I won't watch the NFL because of Colin Kaepernick. They're still paying. They're still watching. They're still giving money. And these execs are counting every single dollar and cent all the way to the bank, no matter what these people say. And I just think it's funny, that part of it. But it is changing, man. And no, there's no space for us at ESPN. We're never going to say that. We're happy to be doing what we're doing. At least I'm happy. And so for all the people that watch us, it's just, it's amazing that we're able to do this. Right before we came on, I even said, all this travels. And it's amazing. 
that we can do this. We have some production value to be able to go on the road and still do a show. And we don't have a truck. I don't have some production truck out here that's helping me out with this. It's all happening right here off camera. That's a cool thing for me. Yeah, that and the fact that we don't have uh, we don't have a production team that's giving us notes and ideas that you, there's no one in our ear uh, giving us the stat to regurgitate or correcting me when I get someone's name wrong. You know, you're just getting the raw opinions, reactions, thoughts from us, right? And I think that when you, I guess, when you know that, and if you view this through that lens compared to some of these other these other shows that that have all that, I think it it is impressive what we're what we're able to do. And and I do. I don't take. I, I I really appreciate that we've been able to earn the viewership, listenership of those of you out there. It means a lot to us. And and I mean earn that because I I want you to know that we show up here every week to earn your time, uh, whether it's five minutes or an hour or whatever it is. I mean, we enjoy doing this, but I I want to make sure that you feel like this was a uh, a worthwhile use of your time. And if it distracted you from the daily BS that happens in the world for like I said, thirty seconds, five minutes, five hours. We're appreciative. Iceman stat of the week, part of our usual of the week segment where Coach and I like to bring a little bit of a personal flair to this. We always start with Iceman stat of the week. Coach, I said I had a gross stat for you. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready, man. I'm glad you came in and cut me off. I felt like I was about to get a little emotional there. So no, I'm ready for a nice gross stat to uh, dig me out of this emotional pit that I'm in. Well, this is actually going to make you regurgitate. So we talked about Joey Chestnut a little bit earlier, and I mentioned that he won the hot dog eating contest eating 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Here are some particulars about those 62 hot dogs. In total, he took in 18,100, or excuse me, 18,414 calories, 1,129 grams of fat, 1,488 carbohydrates, and 682 grams of protein. He has now won that event 16 out of 17 years. Some people say he's the most dominant athlete of all time. I'm just glad to hear that my, my man's getting his protein, man. That's really important. So he's not going out of the park in that category. I agree. He has a full balanced diet, but I just can't even imagine. By the way, he has the record of 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Woo. Yeah. Think about that. That's 7.6 hot dogs a minute. No, thank you. No, thank you. At all. I, I don't want to be uh I'm surprised he hasn't been sponsored by like some sort of like digestive pharmaceutical company or something like Pepto-Bismol or Imodium. He might be, but to call him an athlete, I guess, if you're putting your body through that, it's no different than putting yourself through a marathon, an ultra marathon or whatever. I just can't even imagine. And I can't imagine going in person to see something like that. So this show, Iceman and Coach, we salute you, Joey Chestnut. And we hope that somewhere you are sitting with a bottle of Pepto-Bismol waiting for your next meal. And the trumpets mean it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Everybody rejoice. Be happy. The streak continues. Last week, Coach picked Chase Elliott. The number nine, I believe it is now the Hooters car, which couldn't be more fitting for you, Coach. It was the Napa car. Now it's the Hooters car. You picked him to win in the Chicago street race, which I have to admit, because of this pick, I actually watched my first ever NASCAR race. And you know what? It was pretty damn exciting. If they switched all NASCAR races to street races, I probably would actually tune in. Unfortunately for you, 
He had another top five finish, finishing third. He did not win. So that brings you to now two and nine in what is a now revamped coach's pitch of the coach's pick of the week from your desk with a quill and ink and everything. We have upgraded you, sir. So coach, please bless us with another pick of the week. Um, hear ye, hear ye, NASCAR fans, and specifically our friend who commented um, on our YouTube video, who was very, very upset about the fact that I picked Chase Elliott last week. But no worry, sir, uh, or ma'am, whichever you may be, because at least Chase stayed in the top five, which is still a really good, a really good finish. Um, like you said, now in the Hooters car, Napa, taking a Napa at Hooters probably after that race, I bet. But this week, we're going to move on from NASCAR. And I, I feel good about this one, which is dangerous, I guess. But I feel like in baseball, unless it's like a playoff series or the World Series, you can't just like pick one game because there's not so much riding on individual games. So I'm going to pick a series. So there's a series this weekend between the top two teams in the National League Central Division. The Reds are visiting the Brewers in Milwaukee. The Reds have been playing very well. Um, they've got rookie sensation Ellie, Ellie De La Cruz, um, if I'm not mistaken. And he's been absolutely great since he's been called up. Uh, the Brewers have been I don't know, have been kind of reeling a little bit lately. Uh, the Brewers handled the Reds, uh, taking three out of four at the beginning of June. Uh, we got a big weekend series on tap. So in Milwaukee, I'm going to take the Reds over the Brewers in this three-game series. So to take two out of three from the Brew Crew on the road, give me the Cincinnati Reds. The Road Dogs, Cincinnati Reds over the Milwaukee Brewers in what is the only way that you could pick baseball. The Reds are a surprise team this year. They're a lot of fun to watch, Coach. So let it be written, as always. So let it be done. As usual, man, the hour has gone by lightning fast. We are bumping up to the end of the show. It's been a lot of fun. Do you have any parting thoughts for our loyal listeners and viewers? No, nothing more than what I've already said um, here on the show today. So again, all the appreciation in the world to the listeners, Iceman, all, as always, this is a pleasure. I'm extremely excited because we are closing in still ever so closely uh, to the football season, just with tons of fun, exciting content coming up. I mean, on top of the fun, exciting things we've been doing now, and then we'll have between now and then, but football's, I just love, I love the game of football. So really pumped up for the season ahead. Uh, looking forward to a nice weekend here. Just wish everybody the best. I agree with that. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. Coach and I are talking about some different things that we want to do during the football season. We are providing a roadmap for ourselves because we want to do something different and evolve and grow the way that we have throughout the entirety of the show. We are coming up to the one-year anniversary of starting this show in September. Very, very exciting. want to remind everybody, though, do not forget to support the Pub Time Podcast wherever it is that you find your podcast. You can listen to the coach in his other form over there with Ryan and their corrugated metal. Do not forget, if you are watching on YouTube, to like and subscribe. It's not mandatory. However, it is very, very helpful. If you're listening in the podcasting space, we love our audio listeners too. Apple and Spotify, don't forget to hit follow. Don't forget to hit rate. Give us some stars. It helps us chart and continue to grow there. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on threads and Instagram at Iceman and Coach is the handle to do that. We are on Facebook as well. INC Sports has a Facebook page. You can search us there. The Matty Ice Media Network, as always, where you can find this show, Fire Footwear, the manual political football, which is coming back in late July. Coach, it has been a wonderful, wonderful week. We hope everybody had a happy Independence Day. We hope that this finds you well and safe. And as always, this is Iceman and Coach.
opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.